When Paul writes to the saints at Philippi, it is a letter written to some of his dearest friends, and it is a letter to a young local church that was birthed through the power of the gospel and is sustained by the power of the gospel and whose only hope for the future is found in the gospel. This is Philippians, and we are Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. We are witnessing together, and you got to witness it today too, a local church being birthed. That's what's happening, right? The church, there's a way to think about this, the church with a capital C, like when the Bible talks about the church, capital C, God is talking, Jesus is talking about all Christians from all time, those who are dead and gone before us, those who are yet to be saved, those who are currently saved, all over the world, every place. When we talk about a local church, we mean this, for lack of a better term, manifestation of that reality right here in this building or wherever it is that this group of people gathers. This is a local church. And it's being birthed uh, right now. We're not even two years old yet. And so uh, God has written this story in ways that we could never have imagined. And a church, a local church, is, is being, being birthed. And the proof of that is in the transformation of lives. So you heard some of the stories, and there were a few folks that couldn't be here with us today because of sickness who were going to be baptized as well. And their stories are stories of transformation by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's what a church is. It's people whose lives are being transformed. There's only one thing that can do that. And lucky for us, it's not good preaching. That's not what transforms lives. It's not an excellent kids' ministry, which, by the way, again, our kids' ministry leaders and volunteers, I mean, are just... Think about them right now. Look how empty this... Comparatively, think how many kids are back there right now and pray for them. And then when you pick up your kids, say thank you. But, but yeah, so that kid, but that's not what transforms lives, right? We put, we, there's a pig in my pocket. I put no work into how pretty this stuff looks. Like the new cafe, that's brand new. This is our first Sunday with that cafe over there. I did not, had nothing to do with it. That logo on the wall, uh, the inside the kitchen itself, right? Beautiful, thankful for those who put in time and energy and effort and generosity to see that happen. All those things are good. Kids ministry, I'm for it. I love it. We want it. Good preaching. We will have it someday. I don't know who it will be, but we'll get there. Uh, Facilities that are good for hospitality and welcoming. We want all of those things. We love all of those things. God uses all of those things, but there's only one thing that can transform people's lives, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. And so, what we'll see, because we're going into the book of Philippians. Philippians is a letter, actually, written by the Apostle Paul to the church at, at Philippi. The only way a church can be born is through the power of the gospel. And what we'll also learn in the book of Philippians is that the only way a church sustains, in a healthy sense, in a godly sense, is through the power of the gospel. Like, there's no new tricks out there that can make a church thrive in God's eyes outside of the gospel. That's it. We need it to be born as a church. We need it to continue as a church. Philippians, what we'll see, and we'll see a lot here. We'll be here till uh, Thanksgiving time. Everybody's like, oh man, 
No, but it'll be good. We're going to see a lot of different things, but primarily, overarching all of them, only the gospel can birth a church. And that very same gospel alone can sustain God's people in the face of anything. We're going to see that in the saints of Philippi, and we'll see how that applies to our lives. So, Father, today, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. You are our only hope of transformation. To the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to tell you the story of the church of Philippi. Yes, this is a sermon series through the book of Philippians, but to get there, we have to start in Acts chapter 16, because that's where the, the church at Philippi is born. They had a birthday, too. We celebrate our second birthday the first Sunday of November. They had a birthday. We don't know the exact date, but we know that it happened on Paul's second missionary journey. And like we do every time we start a sermon series, we got a map because everybody loves to nerd out. And look how tiny it is. So you just got to kind of, I don't know, get some binoculars or something. But let me walk you through the story because the story is incredible. What God did in Philippi. So a few weeks back in another sermon series, we talked about the Apostle Paul and a guy named Barnabas. Son of encouragement is what he was known as faithful servant of Jesus, both of them. Paul's uh, salvation was dramatic. Most of us know about it. In fact, he wrote most of the letters that we find in the New Testament. They were at a church in Antioch. Antioch is is over. Ah, Here I am walking around. Antioch is right over here. So you see Jerusalem, Italy, Rome is all the way over there, okay? The reason I do this is because this happened in real life. And I don't ever want us to forget that. This is real life. Real life events, okay? Because if we see these as fairy tales or just random stories that are, have some moral to them, we lose the power of the fact that this happened in reality. So the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and three other leaders are all at a church in Antioch and it's like thriving. God's saving people left and right. And, and you would think like, well, let's just keep this thing going. But instead, They send out two of their best leaders, Paul and Barnabas, 40% of their leadership team. They just send them out on a missionary journey. And that is Paul's first missionary journey. It, It happens in the wake of Acts chapter 13. Now Paul is going to go on his second missionary journey when we come to Acts chapter 16. But this time he's not going to go with Barnabas because believe it or not, even for the apostles, there was church drama. If you've been like if you've been in church your whole life, that doesn't surprise you. Maybe if you're new to church, I hope you know humanity well enough to know that the, the church is not immune from drama. And there was drama between Paul and a guy named Mark. They didn't get along real well because Paul thought Mark had abandoned them. That's how he interpreted it. But Barnabas, as the son of encouragement, has said, Paul, you were a knucklehead too, and I loved you then. I'm going to love Mark now. So Barnabas and Mark go their own direction. And uh, Paul and Silas, a new person in the, they go as well. So they make this little journey, and I know this is super exciting, but it is. I mean, it starts, they go up through places called Derby and Lystra and Iconium, and along the way, they pick up this dude named Timothy. You might have heard of him. First and Second Timothy are two books in the New Testament, letters that were written to him. And then they get to this place called Antioch Poseidon, and this is kind of this changing moment when God has a plan to birth a church in Philippi 
And Paul and Timothy and Silas have no idea what his plan is. None whatsoever. And so watch their journey. Acts chapter 16, verse 9. Now let me start earlier. Sorry. Start in verse 6. And they went through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, uh, they attempted to go into, and this is an important part of the story, uh, Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing through Mysia, they went down to Troas. So back to the map. Thank you. I'm sorry, Carrie. But uh, they are here, and they want to go all the way up into here. That's Paul's plan. He wants to see a church born here. But God says no. And in fact, not only no, but for the next 400 miles of your journey, you're not even going to speak the gospel to anybody. They're silent. Can you imagine a Christian who doesn't share their faith? That's a, I'm that Christian sometimes, but hardly ever have I done it because the Holy Spirit told me not to do it. I usually don't tell people, share my faith because I'm scared. But they are told by the Holy Spirit, do not speak the gospel. And they go all the way to Troas without saying a single word about Jesus to anybody. And at every turn, they're trying to go this direction, this direction, this direction. And God's saying, no, a different direction, a different direction. And hear me today. You will not minister to everybody. You won't. God reaches people through different people. It's not on you to reach everybody. What's on you is to be faithful. You're not called everywhere. Paul's not called everywhere. Twelve years later, Peter will write 1 Peter and he will address it to the saints in Bethania. Because God sent somebody else there to save people. God sent somebody else there, we don't know who, to see a church born in that area. God will accomplish His plans. and You won't be part of every single one of them. But in Troas, something happens. Verse 9 of chapter 16. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So he has a dream in the night, but he knows that it's not just bad Chinese food. It's, it's Jesus speaking to him. It's God directing him. And he's not the only one that knows it because verse 10, and watch something interesting happens here if you really read carefully. The book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he writes his sequel, when he writes Acts. These are both of his writings. He was a medical doctor. He was not a, a disciple. He was a disciple of Jesus, but he wasn't one of the, the 12 disciples, but he was a follower of Jesus. He's the one writing this. And in verse 10, he says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought. Before he was saying they, 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 now it's we. Luke joins the mission in Troas. He gets on board. We sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day 
to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. Don't go around and pronounce any of these names the way I do, okay? (laughs) But however you pronounce them, just do it confidently. (laughs) And if you're not at a seminary, everybody will think you're right, so it'll be fine. (laughs) Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. Back to the map last time, and then we'll be done with the nerdness. Thank you. So they are in Troas. Here is Europe. Paul's not been to Europe yet. God said, he, through a vision, says go. So they kind of go to some of these different islands on the way over. They get to Neapolis here. This is uh, Istanbul right here. And there was uh, what was called the uh, Ignatian Way. It's this major thoroughfare and road. And so they pick that up in Neapolis and they walk into where Philippi is. And that's how they get there. But what I want you to know is that wasn't their plan, right? All that for me to tell you that. It wasn't their plan to go there. God had a different plan for the birthing of the church than they did. We've got to trust Him in those moments. And they get there, and I won't read all of it. I'll just tell you the story. But now they're there in Europe, and there's no synagogue in Philippi. You're familiar with the Apostle Paul's ministry. He goes into a town. He goes to the synagogue where Jewish believers would worship. And he'll go there on the day of worship and find out if any of them have heard of Jesus, are believers in Jesus. He'll share the gospel with them and he'll seek to see Jewish Christians, Jewish uh, people converted to Christianity. There's no synagogue there. So what he does the next morning or a few mornings in is they get up on the day of worship, and they go down by the river, and they watch to see if anyone comes there to pray. And they see women, a group of women come there to pray, and one of those women is named Lydia. It's my mother's name, so I've known forever, seller of purple. That's what she does. She's a businesswoman. She's there in Philippi. She knows who God is, but she hasn't heard the truth about Jesus, or at least believed the truth about Jesus, and watch her conversion. Verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, if you're new, this is just normal. That's what we hear from there. It's from the other side of that wall. And it just is a sign that that God is at work, and we saw it here today, okay? I preach a little bit, transforming the lives of those people over there while they're running around like crazy people. Somehow in that, God is infusing the truth of the gospel into their lives. That's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. And they are trusting in, but, but just bear with that for the sake of the gospel, truly. So Lydia is here. They go out on the Sabbath day. They went outside to the gate to the riverside. That's verse uh, 13. And they spoke to the woman, women who had come together there. And here's verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Now watch what happens. It's not Paul, it's not Timothy, it's not Silas, it's not Luke. The Lord opened her heart. Okay? They spoke, they were faithful, they did what God was telling them to do, but the the Lord always does all the heavy lifting. If you don't know that about Christianity yet, then it's all, it's just the whole story is this. Is, see, and then this happens too, and that's exciting. 
We aren't getting that one in the water for a long time. But we're praying for him. Now, this is great. So that's Jakin. Listen, Jakin, this is when he is of age and realizes he needs to see a psychiatrist. He's going he's gonna to talk about me the whole time because all I've done ever is talk about Jesus and make fun of Jakin from this <laughs> stage up here. So hopefully him and I can be friends and he'll forgive me for that. Maybe, see, maybe he'll appreciate being sacrificed for everyone's humor and laughter. Who knows? Who knows? Okay, let's get back to this, though. So Lydia, the Lord, opens her heart to pay attention to what is said by Paul. And, and after she was baptized, which assumes she came to faith in Jesus, after she was baptized in her household, they trust Jesus as well, she urged us, the four of, these four men, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So she has a family. She's evidently made enough money, because you'll see she supports the church too, to have a big enough home to not just have her family there, but to also have these four dudes there too. And you don't invite four grown men over without feeding them. So she's going to have to feed them. So all that is encompassed here. So she's doing all right. But here's Don't miss this. Please don't ever miss this in the recounting of of church history. God uses people on the fringes. And although the American church at times and, and other first world countries, the church has excluded people on the margins. The gospel story is not that way. It's an equal opportunity story that through Jesus, anyone can be a part of the story. Here it's a a woman who in this day and age, right, the women would have been looked at as lesser, right? Some of you say, well, still today. Well, but even worse then, even more so then, and yet God uses her not just to help birth the church, but she'll also help fund the church. And so that's part of the story. In Acts 13, we got two guys from West Africa who are part of the core team of that church at Antioch being planted, Right? And how we read past that in American history, I don't know. But God has been using people from every tribe and tongue and nation to see the kingdom of God advance. Just, it's there. It's in black and white. It's whatever. You can choose to commentate on it however you want, but I'm just telling you the facts. It's there. So this church is is born. And then it gets crazy. The very next day, Paul and Silas and the others go out into the town and they start witnessing. And this is wild. This demon-possessed slave girl, yeah, walks around behind them and starts shouting them down the whole time. And eventually the apostle Paul gets tired of it and turns around and casts the demon out of her, right? That only happens here about once a week. It's not really common. That's never happened here. Listen, but that happened there. And so when that happens, the town gets upset. Eventually, I'm just speeding through this, Paul and Silas end up in prison, which I think is hilarious because Timothy and Luke are there too. So I don't know if they were taking a nap during this whole thing or off like getting food, but somehow they, they don't end up in the slammer. Just Paul and Silas. And while they're there, you may be familiar with this story, the, the night comes and they're singing, right? They're in jail. What else are they going to do? They're going to sing and talk about Jesus. And an earthquake comes, it breaks everyone's bonds, breaks down the walls, and they're free to go. But they don't go. 
Paul and Silas convince everyone to stay there in the prison because the jailer comes in. He's on the verge of suicide because he knows what his end will be if any of these prisoners escape and he'd rather die on his own terms. When Paul shouts out and says, wait, we're here. And God uses that to bring him to faith in Jesus. Super famous verse. Paul says to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And he believes and his whole house believes. So if you're following, we've got a little core team here. We've got a rich businesswoman, sells purple stuff, her family. We've got a formerly demon-possessed girl and all her baggage that's turned into a testimony, by the way. That's what Jesus does. Jesus turns your baggage into a testimony, his power. And then we've got this jailer and his family. And just as quickly as everything starts, it ends. All their time in Philippi, right? Things have not gone good. They're not welcome here anymore. So in verse 40 of this, it's the last verse of chapter 16, it says, so they went out, they eventually are released from prison. They released from prison, they went out from prison and they visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Notice Luke switches back to they. Luke stays. He's going to be part of this core team too. And the church at Philippi was just born in the craziest, most insane way possible. God did it. Paul didn't do it. He didn't even want to go. Luke didn't do it. He wouldn't have been on the trip if God hadn't led him to Troas. Timothy didn't do it. He only got roped into it because of the way God led him through Lystra and and Iconium and those places. Silas was only there because Paul and Mark had a fight. God's sovereignly at work making this whole thing happen and this church is, is born. Five or six years later, Paul returns on his third missionary journey. He goes back through in that area, maybe not Philippi, but, but possibly Philippi. He picks up another believer, Titus. I like to think that, that maybe he's born again there in the church of Philippi as well. And then five or six years after that, we get the letter to the church at Philippi. The church is at this point that Paul writes Philippians, where we'll spend the next few months, the church of Philippi is anywhere from roughly 10 to 13 years old. A young church birthed through a diverse group of people saved in miraculous ways by the grace of God. And Paul's in prison when he writes the letter. 10 to 13 years later, he's likely in a Roman prison. That's what church tradition says. He's in prison in Rome, and he's going to write four letters while he's there. We've already seen Ephesians. We've already seen Philemon. Next year, we'll, or next, yeah, next year, 2023, we'll preach through Colossians and this, also this letter to the church at, at Philippi. Don't forget this either, last nugget about their story. Jesus' death and resurrection is only 30 years or so in the rearview mirror. Don't forget this as a Christian. When you start to doubt the story, don't forget that there were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus in many of these churches. They saw him with their own eyes, right? Don't forget that. The right, And I didn't even mean to say this, but it's just a helpful apologetic. The, the story of Christianity is the most unbelievable and easily disproved story out there. All you have to do is say, I didn't see him. What are you talking about? The body's still in the grave. Let's take it out. See? Weekend at Bernie's. Jesus, right? Like, you know, whatever. 
I mean, it could just be disproven like that. But instead, it spreads like wildfire because all these people are saying, no, he's alive. And the government's saying, shut up. Don't say that. Quit it. And they're like, well, just kill us because we're going to keep saying it because he raises people from the dead. We've seen it. That's how the church is born. At any time, it could have been so easily disproven. 30 years later, there's eyewitnesses still to the resurrection of Jesus as the church is forming. That's free. This church lasts and it thrives. Ten years later, he writes this letter. Here's the context, just very simply. These are his best, some of Paul's very best friends. Again, we're, we're only going to, we're not, you, if you think I'm still going to preach through Philippians today, you're probably nervous, but I'm not. Don't worry. What we'll see in the coming weeks in Philippians is that these are some of Paul's very dearest friends. What you'll also see in the book of Philippians is that there's no like major sin that he's confronting. There's a few little things that he'll address. But there's no major things. If you've ever read the book of Corinthians, right? It reads like a soap opera, right? As he's addressing all these wild things that are happening in the church. Many of his letters are, are kind of follow-up to either major threats from within the church or major sin within the church. There's very little that he addresses in the book of Philippians. So why does he write the letter? Well, what you'll see, what we'll see in the coming weeks is that the church of Philippi was encountering opposition, but not to the truth of the gospel per se. Just opposition like Paul had experienced when he was in Philippi. People wanting to shut the thing down because it, remember those guys who get so upset because Paul cast that demon out of this girl and now they can't use her to make money the way that they wanted to. These Christians are disrupting the social fabric of the community in ways that God would say are beautiful and glorious, but, but other people take offense to. It's possible that now that Paul's in prison, this great teacher, and that a lot of attention is focused to Rome, maybe those who are against the church there feel emboldened to, to really rise up and persecute them. They're being persecuted. Another group he'll address or someone who sounds like the Judaizers, if you remember the book of Galatians. People who tried to come into the church at Galatians say it's not enough to just believe in Jesus. You've got to practice circumcision, dietary restrictions, and, the, and honor the Sabbath the way that the, the Jews of old did. That's the only way you can be a Christian. Those folks aren't there in Philippi, actually. Paul's just warning them they could come. Here's what Paul's going to do the whole time. Because these are his very, very best friends. He's going to remind them of the gospel. In the face of opposition, in the face of trouble, what they need is the gospel. Saints of Philippi is... Well, let me read this quote by Gordon Fee. I, I skipped verse 3-2. Paul's overarching concern in the book of Philippians is with the gospel. This is a cool nugget. It's a word that occurs more often in this letter than in any of the others. And I want, there's only four chapters in this book. Some of his letters have upwards of 13, 16 chapters in them. He uses the word gospel in this letter more than any of the others. Here's how I would say it. Friends don't let friends forget the gospel. Friends don't let friends forget the gospel. He says, listen, remember our friendship, saints? You'll see this in the coming weeks. It's rooted in the gospel. 
if there's ever going to be division sneak into the church, again, it's likely there isn't any at this time, but if it ever comes, you know what will demolish that division? The gospel. The realities of, as you wrestle with the realities of grace and the realities of holiness and how those two things coexist as Christians, right? Like we're saved by grace, but we're called to good works. What's the balance? Like how does that? It'll be the gospel that helps you understand that. The ability to finish strong in this life is found in the gospel. He'll even say the power to face death is found in the gospel. Philippians 1.21, this is a famous verse from the letter. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Only the gospel can make death gain. That's what he's going to do. Friends don't let friends forget the gospel. And so the entire book of Philippians is going to be about the gospel. The grace that saved them will be the grace that leads them home. The gospel that birthed the church in Philippi will be the gospel that sustains it. Just so you know, verse 1 of Philippians is written by Paul. Paul and Timothy. Timothy stands by as an amen corner for the letter and as an affirmation of it. You'll see that too. Timothy travels later to the church at Philippi. He's the one that says, yes, this was written by Paul. He affirms it. So that's why he's there. And they see themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. Might that be our identification? People of God at Mercy Village or people of God wherever you call your home church. Servants of Jesus. We don't need anything more than that. We're servants of Jesus. And it's to the saints, he says in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. And I can, I don't know, Paul's personality. But I can't imagine him not thinking about Lydia as he starts to pen this letter. He stood in the water with her, with her whole family baptized. I can testify you don't forget that as a pastor. You don't. He thinks of that jailer in prison on the verge of suicide, saved by grace. He baptized him and his whole family. He thinks about how opposed that demon-possessed girl was to the gospel and how Jesus transformed her life. He thinks about his friend Luke, who spent so much time there seeing that church become established. These are his friends. He says, there's only one thing you need, grace to you, verse 2, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Two verses in, and he's already said Christ Jesus three times, and he won't stop saying it for the rest of this book. He won't stop talking about Jesus, and he won't stop talking about the gospel. And here's why. He tells them all. In 3, 8, and 9, this is the close of the sermon. This is where I tell you what the gospel is, and I call you to believe on it, just like these people did. So I'm not pulling any punches here. I want you to trust Jesus. Paul wanted the same thing. Here's what he says in Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9. Consider this a sneak peek. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything in this world, he says, whatever I had is gain, I count as loss in the verse before. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, he says, there's nothing better in the world, in the universe. He's been places, he's done religion, he's been with other people who have just lived in frivolity, and he knows, he says this with confidence, 
There is nothing worth more than knowing Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ because there's nothing else more important than that. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. This is the gospel. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I asked each one of these people, do you believe that Jesus is God? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead? Yes. Do you believe that he has the power to forgive your sins? Yes. That's faith. Faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross to forgive sins, just like Paul said to the jailer. It's my call to you today if you're not a Christian. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. You have questions about what that means or what that looks like. I will stop anything and everything to have that conversation with you today. I would love to share with you what it means to become a Christian. If you are a Christian, last thing, what do we do with this story of gospel transformation? What do we do with this preview of a book that's going to be all about the fact that without the gospel, the church can't be born, and without the gospel, the church can't be sustained? What do we do with that? Well, I think the wise thing to do is recommit your lives today to the transforming power of the gospel. If you've grown apathetic to the power of the gospel, let today be kind of that turning point back to saying, I dedicate my life to this personally for you. It will be the gospel that transforms you individually. I don't know what you're struggling with or carrying or, or fighting against, but the gospel can reach you there. Christian, I'm talking to Christians, right, who have grown apathetic to the power of the gospel. For your people, your neighbors, your family... Right? Commit to the gospel, especially parents. Share the gospel with your children. We see the results of it today. Again, not that the parents saved these kids. Jesus did, but it was through the faithful commitment to the gospel for this church. It must be the gospel for our communities and for the world. So here's your homework assignment. This week, read Acts chapter 16. We skipped over a bunch of it. Read that story again of the church of Philippi. God just really melt your heart with the beauty of his power. And if you've got time to, to read the letter to the church of Philippi, read it. It's beautiful as we prepare to walk through this book together. Only the gospel can birth a church, and the very same gospel alone can sustain God's people in the face of anything. Father, we love you. Help us to love you more. Help us to believe the gospel. Those who are lost and far from God, to believe the gospel for the very first time and be saved. Those of us who are children of God, to to believe the gospel for our daily lives. That it is for us. Um, In every situation. May that be true for us today. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.